Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to John chapter 1, okay? John chapter 1. Uh, you can also go to Calvary.online, click on today's message, and it'll open in the Bible app if you have the Bible app. Um, today, I'm going to begin a brand new series called Words Matter. Words Matter. And um, there's a reason why um, that I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the sermon, and really, um, uh, it. It's, it's just that there's so much going on today in this area of words that are changing definition. And, and there's a lot of things that are shifting. Now, I spent uh, 16 years in youth ministry from about 2000 to 2016. And, and, and so uh, I, I actually got to go through some weird dynamics, you know, we went from, you know, we went from beepers to cell phones. That was an interesting transition. Some of y'all remember beepers, you know, we, you know, people didn't even have, yeah, some of you young kids are like, what is a beeper? That's the thing that only shows numbers that you had to learn how to spell things upside down so you could send a text message. Some of y'all are laughing, all of the over 50s are going, I used to do that. 83770, Hello. Y'all are like, oh, some of the kids are like, man, that is so weird. Yeah, yeah, so we went through a big transition, and I'll never forget the day, uh, you know, when a, when a kid came up to me after a service that I thought went pretty well, God was moving, this young man comes up to me, and he says, it's P.O., man, that service was off the chain. Just trying to figure it out. Did it get loose? Am I supposed to go chase it? What does it mean that it's off the chain? He goes, you know, P.O., that service was bad. <laughs> then I had a flashback to my childhood when my mom was telling me, hey, hey, Audie, that's bad. Don't do that. Bad, bad, bad. And then Michael Jackson popped in my head and he was singing a song called Bad. Only bad was no longer bad. Bad was good. And then Weird Al came along and sang a song called Fat. To the tune of bad. And we had to figure out whether it was fat, P-H fat, which is good fat. And then fat, fat, which is just fat. So words have been shifting and changing and meanings are shifting. We live in a culture where people are trying to take words that have always meant something, that we always knew what they meant, and then we're trying to reapply a new definition to these words. This is going on. And so we're going to spend some time as a church looking uh, deep into this. And, and, and the reason why is, is because I see a growing dissatisfaction, not in the world. I, I'm, I'm not here to just, just try to, to measure what's going on in the world. I, I, I see it in the church. There's this deep dissatisfaction kind of with where you are and maybe even what you possess and, and maybe how you're growing. Maybe you think you should be farther along than where you are. And there's this deep dissatisfaction. And I came across something in Proverbs chapter 18, which I think is going to help us as we walk through this series called Words Matter. Proverbs 18 verse 20 says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. 
from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Notice what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, your satisfaction in life is not connected to your harvest, not connected to your bank account, not connected to how well your children are doing in school. It is connected to the fruit of your lips. It's connected to what you are saying. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I'm reading the Bible. You shouldn't get upset when I read the Bible. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Now many people have spoken this next verse, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. Okay, a lot of people talking about that and the power of the word, but they actually miss the context of it, which is to say you are satisfied by what you say. And could it be that the current dissatisfaction in the church is actually connected to what we are saying. Because we're simply saying what we see instead of what God desires. Today I want to speak to you a message which is going to serve as a backdrop for the rest of these messages. This is probably the highest revelation in scripture concerning the word. Today I want to speak to you a message called the manifested word. The manifested word. The word manifested means to make known. It's to make known. And uh, I, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm gonna ruin this sermon from the very beginning, okay? So I'm gonna help you, and then we're gonna say some things just so everybody clearly understands what I'm talking about so no one is lost as we go through this. Say this with me. The manifested word, manifested word. is Jesus. Jesus. Say the manifested word, manifested word. is Jesus. Jesus. Now, we're gonna read a passage and you're going to begin to see some things about why words matter, especially as we begin to look at Jesus. Jesus, uh, actually the Apostle John, pens these words in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light. He was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He, speaking of Jesus, was in the world but the, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Say it with me again. The manifested word is Jesus. So when we see in this passage talking about the word, the word is talking about Jesus. Now I want to give you some insights and this is going to help us and serve as a backdrop and help us to understand why is it so important what we are saying? Why is it so important uh, uh, as we move forward as a church into the things of God. I'm going to share with you a few of these ideas, but today we're going to look at this idea of the manifested word. First is this, the manifested word is God. The manifested word is God. Jesus is God. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, theologians call this um, the absolute beginning. This predates everything that happens in uh, the creation account in Genesis 1. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the exact same words that were used in the, in the beginning of the Torah, in the beginning of, of, of God's written law it was in the beginning. It means the absolute beginning. And there he is in eternity with God. He is God in eternity. This manifested word. You say, why is that so important? Well, here's why. Just yesterday, you know, I'm at home doing a few things, and there's always something to do on Saturdays. 19 birthdays uh, a Saturday. It's just uh, everywhere. There's birthdays, right? And I went to one, and my kids went to two different ones, and you know, it was just it, it was just lots of birthdays. But I, I noticed something as I was I was working on uh, on the truck and doing some things. I noticed that there were these people who, who pulled up on the street next to mine. They were kind of neatly dressed Saturday morning, and they're walking over. They're knocking on some doors. And they come and say, hey, we would really like you to read our publication. Why don't you come to our worldwide event? Um, well, uh, you guys probably have been visited by those people. They stopped visiting me. I was so upset. I saw them like, yes, they're coming back for more. <laughs> Because guys, I got to, I got to, I get, you, you know, some of you like Jehovah's Witnesses show up at your house. You're like, shh, everybody quiet. Get in the back. Hide. Why? Are you kidding me? They showered, they're dressed nice, and they're knocking on your door. Can you imagine? I'm like, I'm not even showered and I get to share the gospel with them. I mean, they're coming to me. The harvest is coming to me. But let me just tell you what they're saying. They're telling us Jesus is not God. 
This is the message. This is how you know what a cult is. This is why words matter. Here in John 1, they're, they're transcribers of the Bible back when they made their version of the Bible, by the way, without a single Greek scholar. They changed one of the words and added a consonant. They said the word was a God. What they would not openly tell you is that they believe that Jesus is actually a manifestation of the archangel Michael and that he's not God at all. I just want to tell you, Jesus is God. Make no mistake, Jesus is God. He is fully divine. And if you want to identify something that is off base and what we would call a cult, look at what they do with Jesus. Mormons are in this same category. They believe he's the Archangel Michael too. Listen, he is not. He is the eternal son of God, fully divine. I know the idea of the Trinity blows your mind. You can talk about it like an egg. You can give yourself all the things. Listen, we're going to get it in heaven. We need different kind of brains. That's the mystery of the Father. There, Here is the Father. Here is the Son. We now possess the Spirit. All three are one. That's the truth. But Jesus is God. I love this. You say, how can you say that with such boldness? Because I'm just listening to what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. Jesus was messing with the Pharisees, which he started doing when he was 12 years old. <laughs> when he was messing with his parents. They started back home, which was a long walk, by the way. And there he is in the temple, arguing with the Pharisees. Set them straight at 12. He's messing with them again. John chapter 8. He says these words, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. All oh, this messed with them. They said, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old and you're saying that you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now listen, that's, for, for some of you, that's great revelation because you've been in the book a little while. But if you were just a, you're like, well, okay, you are. And then why in the next verse do they pick up stones and try to stone him and kill him? Why? It's because when he made a declaration of I am, he was using the covenant name of God that God gave to Moses at the burning bush when he said, who do I tell them sent me? You tell them I am that I am sent me. So here Jesus stands before the teachers of the law and he said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is God. The manifest, the manifested word is God. Never believe anything less. This is why it makes me really nervous when I see young people wearing stupid t-shirts with Jesus on there pointing at them, saying, Jesus is my homeboy. That's dangerous. Jesus is not your homeboy. Never go. The Old Testament calls him an all-consuming fire. Never go near an all-consuming fire with something so flammable as pride all over you. It's not a good combination. You go with humility. Jesus is God. And we ought to treat him as such. And we need to know that the word made manifest is God. He is God. 
Now, this is where we begin to understand what the partnership is between his words and our words in this next statement. The manifested word is creator. You could also say the creator because there is no other creator. Jesus is the creator. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now listen, Jesus is the creator. You say, well, I thought God created everything. He did. Jesus is God. Are you getting the picture? He's the creator. Now, I, I, I want you to see something from Romans chapter 1 that usually people look at from a different light. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power, look at these words, and Godhead so that they are without excuse. This is basically saying people can say they, they, there is no God. People can say that they, they're ignoring God. But all of creation is declaring that there is God. They're declaring his attributes and the Godhead. That he is creator. That he is a part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of creation, you go out and you see the beauty of Florida in February. You know there's a God. <laughs> I met someone today from Deco one of the Dakotas. I'm like, oh, praise God. You may walk out there and see a bunch of snow and see God. I really see him here. Uh, <laughs> I see him here. And, uh, and, uh, but I, I want you to know, that the greatness of God not, a, is, not only is seen in the expanse of the universe, which is, which is amazing. You look at the stars. Uh, God not only gives us stars, but he plants those stars across space and stretches the light across time and gets it to us. I know that's a little deep for some of you. But, you know, God is also seen not only in the great big, but the small I realized uh, this week that it had been, um, you know, a long time, 30 years since I had been in physics class. And uh, I loved physics. First day of physics class, my physics teacher got my attention. I walked into class and never had there ever been anybody do something so bold. He was standing up front, and at the time we still had chalkboard. There was chalk. We'll tell you young people about what chalk is later. Um, <laughs> Um, and everybody walks in, they find a seat, and he's just standing at the front of the room in silence, and uh, he grabs an eraser, and we're all looking at him, and he rears back and he throws the eraser, and people in the seats are kind of ducking, and it lands in the middle aisle and slides to the back of the room, and he says, by the end of this year, you'll know why it stopped where it stopped. I was like, 
All right, you got me a hello. <laughs> All right. All right. And so, you know, um, and so, but we begin to understand that, that physics is actually connected not only to something great in the expanse, but it's actually connected to the small and so you would not only look at how atoms are put together, but what puts together an atom. You know, that it's also protons and neutrons and electrons. But studies have been done that say they, they want to go even smaller because they realize that there was some space between those small areas. And, and there were all kinds of theories that are developed. One of them is called the string theory. And basically it says this. Uh, there, and there actually have been some, some studies done on this. And I don't want to bore you with these details. But... They said that there is actually a sound. There are sound waves that seem to be holding it all together. Like, why don't these things just fly apart? Why are they just not? There are these sound waves that are holding it all together. But you didn't need to go to physics class to learn that. You just learned that in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1, which says this, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom, is he, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things, notice this, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How is he holding everything together? By a word. So if you could magnify the sound of, a, of, of an atom. Here's what you would hear. The words from Genesis. Let there be. Let there be, let there be. When God wanted to create, he released a word. And by that word, all things are held together. And you and I need to understand that the word was the creator. Let me, uh, let me go on to say it this way. God spoke into nothing to create something that wasn't yet. He called those things that are not as though they were. This is what God does. That's Romans chapter 4. Now, this is where we begin to understand the power of life and death in words. It's because your words, more specifically, God's words on your lips carry creative power. And when you and I actually say what God is saying, then things change. I was standing just a few days ago. For the first time in history, the U.S. Embassy is in Jerusalem. Israel became a nation May 14th, 1948. The very minute 
70 years later, to the minute, our embassy was dedicated in Jerusalem 70 years later. Listen, that is not a political statement. That's a prophetic statement. Our embassy now is shifted and moved. And I was standing there with Ambassador uh, David Friedman. And David Friedman said this. He says, Israel has committed her sins in the past. But the greatest sin that Israel ever committed, she committed in her earliest days. It is the sin of the 10 spies. See, when God wanted to take the nation into a new place, 10 spies came back. And they simply did this. They reported what they saw. They didn't lie. They simply said only what they saw. And she, he said, then Israel suffered. They suffered for the sins of the 10 spies. All those years. Because they simply said what they saw. After he said that, he says, no longer do we, we want to live as people who simply say what we see. And he said this, it is a miracle that Israel has become a nation again. A hundred years ago, it was an impossibility. People would look at their Bibles and say, none of this can come to pass. And yet, all of a sudden, God reforms a nation, May 14th, 1948. And all of a sudden, uh, Jews are, are being, coming back to the homeland and biblical prophecy is unfolding. She says, she says, he says, what we cannot do in our day is live like the 10 spies he gives this gives this uh, uh, you know this inspiring uh, talk to all of us and as he as he finished he was shaking hands and he came down the steps of the embassy and I grabbed his hand I said ambassador Friedman I said I make this commitment to you I am going back to America and I am going to release a sound that sounds like Joshua and Caleb. I am going to not only say what is, I am going to declare what God wants to be. Where God will say something into nothing and it will be created into his desire. Ambassador Friedman kind of, he said, thank you. <laughs> but I felt God in that moment. And I want you to understand that words matter and the satisfaction connected to your life and the things that you are going through. Many times what we're, we're not satisfied because we're only saying what we see. We haven't spent time with God and spent time in his word. We have no sense or direction as a church. Where, where is God taking us? Where is he moving me toward? So instead of only saying what you see, it's time to begin to say what God desires. What he desires to bring to pass. It doesn't matter that there are giants in the land. We need to be like Caleb, who after... Seeing the land cleared of all of the ites. Old. Seems like life has already passed him by. But God made him a promise that he would possess a mountain. And Caleb at the end of his days. 
looks at Joshua and this is what he says. I'm well able to take that mountain. And some of us, what we've done is we've just kind of gone through life and we've been fighting other people's battles and we've been helping other people and we've forgotten the promises that God has given to us. And what we've done is we started committing the sin of the 10 spies. I am simply going to take cues from what I see and that's what I will say. And what is, what is released is a dissatisfaction. But I believe God right now is stirring the church once again to say, I will have the testimony of Caleb that no matter what season of life I am in, the promises of God are to me yes and amen in Christ. And I am well able to take this mountain. You can create with your words. Don't tell your friends how bad your kids are. Go and prophesy over their pillow. Go in their room and say, oh no, you're going to be, you're going to hear the Lord. You're going to live out God's plans for you. I know you're doing your own thing now, but God, God come and release them and raise them up. They don't know what they're doing. They may be in a pigsty, but Lord, let them come to their senses. They're coming to their senses and they're coming home. I'm telling you, it's time that we start living like Joshua and Caleb and not the 10 spies. Why? Because the manifest word was a creator, is a creator, and you and I are made in his image and in his likeness. We didn't choose that. He chose that for us. And so he then comes and says, why don't you live like I lived and say the things that I'm saying despite what the circumstances look like. And that's how things shift. That's how things change. When your mouth lines up with his desire, The next idea, because there are many, and we're going to spend some time on this, but connected to the manifested word is this. The manifested word is full of grace and truth. The manifested word is full of grace and truth. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. I want you to understand this. Jesus took on flesh. He stripped himself of, of everything that was given to him as the son of God. He made himself like us, took on flesh. Read Philippians. Philippians tells us this very thing. He makes himself uh, obedient even to the point of death. And it says this, he dwelt among us. This word, uh, for us, we don't really grab hold of it the way that a Jew would. They, they would say, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. There's a whole feast around this idea in Israel that they would go and they would celebrate the booths. They would celebrate in this time of God transitioning them out of bondage. And, and, and so you, you need to understand that God, in all of his humility, he comes, wraps himself in flesh to do the things that we could not do. And he dwells with us. The manifested word comes to dwell. But he doesn't only come to dwell. He comes Full of two things, grace and truth. Grace, as, as, as 
just, uh, I'll give you half the definition, is simply this, the undeserved favor of God. It is the goodness of God toward people who deserve no goodness. I just want to let you know, that's all of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of us have forsaken God. All of us do not, are not worthy, if you will, of God's favor. And yet he comes full of God's undeserving favor for us. That's so good. That's so good. That means that you, uh, no matter how bad you may feel today, no matter how, how far away from God, he's like, no, I'm not running short on grace today. I'm full of grace. The word comes with grace. It comes with, it says, listen, it's not by your works. You don't have to earn this. I'm coming to do what only I could do, to give you what you do not deserve. He comes to pay a price on the cross, a penalty we deserved, but only he could pay it so that we could receive a reward that only he deserved. Eternity in God's presence. He comes full of grace. Now, I do want to say this. If you have thought of grace as, well, now that I'm in, I can live whatever way I want to live because God will forgive me. Let me tell you what that is. Demonic grace. That's what that is. I bless you with that. That's demonic. The idea that grace becomes a license to sin. I was trying to think of a better word. It's empty headed. You put no thought into the idea that Jesus comes in a spirit of holiness, that he lives his whole life without sin to give us his spirit, which would enable us to live apart from sin. Grace isn't only about God forgiving you of sin. He is about enabling you to live victorious over sin. That's grace in its fullness. That it is the undeserved favor, but it's also the divine empowerment to live the words, to live the words in the book, the manifested word. That's the good news. He doesn't leave us in that condition, but empowers us by his spirit through grace. He comes full of grace. But he's not only full of grace, he's full of truth. And make no mistake, truth is under attack. You hear wonderful people who are educated, lots of letters and dots behind their name. They say things like this. Well, my truth is you can live your truth. Then there's my truth. No, let's, let's stop changing the definition of words. Truth is truth, doesn't matter what you think about it. You should say, my opinion is, and your opinion is. However, this ties back to this other idea that the manifested word is a creator. 
Because when you get into university, young people, you're going to have people who challenge your, your way of thinking. They're going, to, they're going to immediately say, no, 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 there is no God. And really what is at the heart behind that is because there, there needs to be no God, no creator. Why? Because if there's a creator, then you cannot validify the lifestyle that you want to live. It's contrary to what he said. But if there is no creator, you can live whatever way you want to live. That is why the whole idea of the manifested word of creator is actually under assault. And let me just jump back here for a moment. Um, evolution, it, it's, it's birthed in that idea. They have to attack the idea of, being, of, their, of there being a creator. Why? Because there's, there's only one way to, do, to validify their lifestyles. It says, I am my own God. Listen, church, this is the reality that we're living in. And the things that are under assault are very clear. We need to know that the manifested word is creator and that he is full of grace and truth. Here's the truth. Truth is simply this. It's the true way to walk with God. That's what he came. He came displaying the true way to walk with God. He challenged people's ideas. He said, you've heard it in the past. That, you know, you, 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 you commit adultery when you're sleeping with a woman. He says, no, no, no. Just to look at her and lust after her, that's adultery. He, he says, let me say it to you this way. He says, the law says this. Here's what grace says. The law says, don't do the act. Grace says, I will lead you to a place where you don't have to struggle with the thought. That's what grace said. Grace is much better than the law. It's much more empowering than the law. And Jesus came manifesting the true way to walk with God. And I know that people would come to me and say, well, you know, you're just, you're just so close-minded. Why can't you just say that all ways lead to God and that, you know, when you die, you become a butterfly? Which then I answer, you know, if you're going to become a butterfly, that means you're going to spend some time as a maggot. I'm not going there. You can do that if you want to. He said, why is it important that there's not just many ways to God, but that Jesus comes as the manifested word, manifesting grace and truth? It's because truth stands on its own. And he says these words in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the, the, the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. saying there's a true way to walk with God and there's a true path to get to him and all paths don't lead there and can I just say this a message in the church of grace apart from truth leads to error and can I just say this a message of truth apart from grace will dry you up because you will never be able to live the standard apart from the grace of God. That's why he comes full of grace and truth. And let me, let me, let me just say this to you today. No matter where you are today, you may feel, I am so alive in Christ. Amen. 
I, I want to say today's service, I hope that your heart burns for the manifested word for Jesus more today as a result of you being here. But I also know that there are people in this room, you, you came because your mom made you, your wife made you. I pray you're here because your husband made you. I'm not sure of that. But I'm, I pray that you're here for whatever reason. And so you can look, you can, you can smile, you can nod. Just don't nod off or I know I'm talking about you. Um, and you, you can look the part, but only you know the condition of your heart. And here's what you need to know about Christ. Christ today is standing before you with grace and truth. The manifested word is saying, listen, no matter where you are today, come and receive my love. Come and receive my forgiveness. Come and receive the redemption that I purchased for you on the cross. Come and receive freely. It's here. Come and receive. Come and receive no matter where you are. He wants he wants you alive. He wants you burning for him. He wants you loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not because you have to, but be out of a revelation of who the manifested word is. He wants you to, to have that. And he says, and here, I'll show you how to do it in truth. Jesus is saying, I'll do, just do it through me. A few days ago, I was, as I mentioned before, I was in Israel. And I found out something very interesting. In almost every hotel, there's a synagogue. It's crazy. Can you imagine if there was a church permanently set up in every hotel? That would be awesome. But there, they have an ark, if you will. This is what they call it. And they have Torah scrolls. First five books of the Bible written on animal skin, encased beautifully. It stays there. They read the same portion no matter where they are in the world. Everybody's kind of going through the Bible together, okay? Now, there was a question that came up. said, I see that this is in a hotel, you know. It's not like super protected. What do you do with a Torah that has gotten old? brittle and you retire it what do you do with that word they said well we close it carefully and then uh out of respect we bury it i was like oh and then i begin to think about the word written on flesh his name Jesus, who died on a cross, and Joseph of Arimathea, and who? A Pharisee named Nicodemus. Take God's Torah, his word, and they go and out of respect, put it in the tomb. There in the garden. And they put the stone in front of it. The only difference was no other Torah got up out of the grave. <laughs> this word, hey, by the way, I'll just give this one to you. For God's word is living and powerful and active. He is. 
Because they put God's Torah in the grave, and three days later, he came up out of the grave. You say, how do I know that Jesus would receive me with grace, showing me truth? Because he was God's word that was given a kind burial, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, just as he had said, and just as scripture said. And I want to tell you, the manifested word is manifesting his power, his strength, his nature, and character in this this room and all who believe all who believe according to verse 12 in this chapter but as many as received him to them he gives the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were not born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man but of God God's desire for you today is to be born of the spirit and he manifested as the word And will give you all of the life that is promised in the word when you simply believe on his name.